Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Performance Talks. We're joined today by Tony Bixler, Director of Strength, Conditioning and Sports Performance at Newbury College, an NCAA Division II school in South Carolina. In the episode, we discuss Tony's experience of working with the Chinese Olympic rifle team, including his mentor-mentee relationship with his assistant coach. We also discuss how he gained respect and buy-in from the team by showing off his own shooting skills. We delve into the lessons he learned from that experience and what he has subsequently transferred to his new role. We also talk about his journey from law enforcement to his current role as well as touching on tactical conditioning and how he goes about managing his staff, teams, and up to 700 athletes. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, comment, and subscribe to keep up to date with our roundtable chats with practitioners around the world, with new episodes out every other Thursday. Get in on the social media action as well. We're on Instagram, at Performance Talks, and Twitter, at Perform Talks. Now we'll hand it over to Tony to start the episode. My name is Tony Bixler. I currently serve as the Director of Strength, Conditioning, and Sports Performance at Newberry College in uh, Newberry, South Carolina. Um, I've got, uh, basically, I'm in charge of a department of Four strength coaches, including myself, got 700 plus student athletes and 22 teams. Um, so my primary responsibilities over here are I'm in charge of the uh, football year-round training, um, as well as women's soccer, softball, and I did baseball pitchers, um, the arm care and stuff of those guys the past year, um, and then the wrestlers as well. So, um, but we've got like I said, we have 22 sports. I chip in where I can with the other sports and. Um, we have some, some student interns and, um, you know, we have, we have a real good time to get a, a wide variety of experience, um, just working with just a wide variety of athleticism. We've got some very high level athletes in division two and some very average or below average. Um, but it gives you, uh, gives me a, a big, uh, a big pools of, uh, of ability to work with where I can, uh, I've been able to hone my, hone my experience, become a better coach. Uh, prior to this, I worked in Beijing, China. Um, so I was actually working with Stephen Simon. They were my um, supervisors over there as the uh, director of, I forget the exact title, it was Team China. Um, so we made, we made our own titles up. Don't yeah, worry yeah. about it. That's right. <laughs> but basically director of sports performance and, and rehab and stuff. So, uh, but I uh, worked with those guys for a year. Um, I was uh, the head performance coach for uh, Team China Men's Rifle. Um, and with that, there's uh, three different positions. This is static sport, but we had 50 meter rival, 50 meter rifle, um, either standing uh, line or kneeling, and then had the 10 meter rifle. But that was an awesome experience. I'll explain more about that later. Um, very much challenged me um, to think, get outside my comfort zone and to adapt to those guys, um, but had a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then prior to that, um, I, Ran my own business for for several years. Um, juggled that with coaching high school football and being a strength conditioning coach in the weight room while getting my master's degree in applied physiology at the University of South Carolina. Um, so, uh, exercise science. But uh, anyways, just did that for um, from 2013 to 2017 while I ran my business and coached high school football. And I actually started coaching high school football in uh, 2010. 
in working in the weight room then. So I've, I've been around the strength and conditioning industry for 11 years. And then prior to that, I was in law enforcement for seven years. So um, I, I took, I guess, a non-traditional, I wouldn't really say there was a traditional route to strength and conditioning, but it was not my first career out of college. Um, but I, I do think it's served me well because it's given me perspective that in some cases, I think affords me a perspective that other coaches miss. So, but yeah, that's, that's my background. I just turned 39 years old. Um, still got a lot to learn. And, uh, so I love the industry. I love, I love coaching and, uh, I'm just happy to be on the podcast. Oh, we're happy to have you on Tony, like great range of experience. And, and we're really looking forward to getting into some of these, these bits and pieces. And, and it's just, it's been a minute since we've seen you as well. Like, so always great to have, have sort of friends come on and, and catch up and see what people have been doing. So um, before we dive in, and, and I know Sky's got loads of questions to ask already, um, we like to give people an opportunity just to kind of give a bit of a shout out to any mentors they've had that have helped them along the way. So um, kind of a couple of minutes now for you to just talk up anyone who's really helped you out. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, well, in terms of uh, strength and conditioning, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Ron McKeefer because he's the reason I got to China in the first place. He's the one who uh, – I met him at the 2018 Coaches Clinic with the NSCA, and uh, he offered me a position to play perform, um, play perform higher coaches to then go with the Chinese Olympic Committee. And he, he really took me under his wing. And I, as a matter of fact, I, I had a text conversation with him this past weekend. So – um, Coach McKeefer has been great, just kind of teaching me how to navigate the, um, the waters of SNC with from a networking standpoint, you know, building my own brand, that sort of thing. Because it's it's just a hyper competitive industry. It's it's one of those situations where you've got more people that want good jobs than there are good jobs available. So just having to really uh, learn how to market yourself and make yourself indistinguishable or make yourself distinguishable from other people. Where hey, this guy's got a skill set that we lack or you know, he can, he offers uh, a perspective that, you know, these other coaches don't offer. So we're going to go with him. Uh, but yeah, Coach McKeefer is huge. Um, and then just uh, beyond that, uh, law enforcement career-wise, uh, Sheriff Leon Lock, you guys wouldn't know who that is, but he, I had a, he always believed in me and um, uh, he gave me, a, he gave me a lot of opportunities in law enforcement. I'm so thankful for this day. Um, so that was that was somebody I would definitely look up to. A guy named David Wilson was my chief of criminal investigations as well. So I, I still lean on my law enforcement experience to a certain extent, just because I would not I would not be in the position I'm in now had I not been a cop. Just because I think it, a lot of the attention to detail that I hone on with my athletes, um, just uh, I guess the perspective I have too, just uh, in terms of I went from training in law enforcement where like we're training for you know, emergency situations, emergency type situations where it's life and death a lot of times to where I think I butt heads with coaches sometimes. I'm like, you got to calm down. You know, we're not getting bullet shot at us here. You know, these are athletes, not Marines. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, so it's, I think, and, and, I, and I can say that coming because I can, I can play the macho type A card when I need to, but that's not really who I am. I'm not, I, I don't ever want to be labeled as one of these guys who's like, some big dude who's on roids yelling high on cocaine. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not who I am. You know, it's, I, I'm, I'm somebody who very much values the scientific method um, and values just being observant, 
having a sequential method to progress people. And then of course, if something's not working, not being stubborn and seeking input, you know, like I, like last uh, in China, they really want to see more balanced training. I'm like, well, this is a static sport. They're on a hard surface, but Simon was kind enough to meet with me. You know, we, we shot the breeze for like two or three hours um, over, I think it's Tiger Pancake House. And he just went through all his progressions and I implemented yeah, it and they love it. Yeah, that's right. Well, so, well, so you guys, I would say y'all too. Y'all, y'all have been mentors of mine as well. You know, in China, both of y'all were always, were always available to me and, and I very much appreciate that. Nice. I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. This, uh, that that's uh, episode fifteen, and I think you're the first person to actually give us a shout. So, <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> really Andrew appreciate. Kayser picked me up. Andrew Kayser was number one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he completely, he completely forgot to mention me at all on, yeah, on exactly. that a separate interview. But uh, anyway, oh man, I've I got so many questions for you, Tony. Um, uh, I'm gonna go like right back to kind of the beginning of your your career. Um, okay. And basically, one of the things I'm really interested in is that there's there is no singular pathway in this industry, right? Lots of people enter enter the industry from various places, and you you kind of alluded to it in your intro there. There's a lot of people that come through and they do, you know, they do their undergrad degree, they do their master's degree, they do an internship, and that's basically it's all been very guided, very path driven, but they don't have any other experience to draw upon when they get into coaching um i just wanted to sort of ask a little bit more about that experience in in policing and what the experience of like for you tactical training and and that side of things was like because was that a a sort of draw for you to then switch to snc like what was the motivation for switching what was the the experience of tactical snc like when you were in law enforcement Gotcha. Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, well, I, I would say when I was in um, when I was in law enforcement, actually starting my training right before my twenty first birthday, um, the tactical training aspect of it I loved. Um, now, its tactical SNC training has evolved significantly since two thousand three. Um, so we actually had the program I was in called was called the Police Corps, and it was at a uh, military college, in South Carolina. And the Marine Corps came in and trained us for a PT twice a day. Holy, then I'm messing about. Yeah, they 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 thought we were Marines, and our major had to remind them several times that you know these are cops, guys. You can't kill them. So, um, <laughs> so we we would do their we would do their workouts for about an hour and fifteen minutes Monday through Saturday at five forty-five to seven a.m. in the morning. And then in the afternoon from 5 to 6 p.m., we would either do the strength conditioning workout from the Citadel, um, their strength coach, um, or the Marine Corps officer course or some combination of the two. So, um, you know, the biggest thing over there was just, you know, functional stuff that you would deal with as a police officer, whether it was, um, you know, officer courses where you're chasing somebody, you got to climb over a fence, come up a wall. Um, go up a rope, you know, just uh, a lot of working on uh, moving on unstable services, uh, just, you know, manipulating your body weight um, in various, I guess, uh, various environments, um, which is what the Marine Corps also, of course, does for you. But um, and then, of course, we just most of the the uh, physical training was your traditional, hey, let's go run with the Marines, go run four or five miles, do 50,000 push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and stuff. So, um, you know, I was in amazing shape, but I was super, super skinny. And I started having some overtraining issues. So that, that's probably the biggest thing is just the overtraining issues and stuff. So they've that's where I say tactical SNC has gotten a lot better. 
um, just with, you know, training these guys more like athletes, monitoring load and volume. Um, but just in terms of uh, my experience in law enforcement, I mean, the biggest thing they teach you, you know, in the academy is, is uh, in your training is attention to detail, you know, and they harp on that from things such as little as, you know, hey, when you're making up your dorm room, you've got to have perfect hospital quarters in your, in your, uh, in your bed there. You've got to have new dust on your desk. Little things that are quite annoying at times, but they're just trying to instill in you an overall mentality of little things matter because it's the little things that you don't pay attention to that get you killed or cause you to make a detrimental mistake where you, you get an innocent civilian killed. So um, looking back at it, you know, it became more and more apparent while they were doing what they were doing. And I would say that the attention to detail aspect, I'm already OCD as it is. That's just how I am. I'm just very much of an analytical guy, but it very much carried over into my programming, how I coach my athletes, because when I'm coaching team sports, you know, I'm a huge believer in like, you need to focus on the details while you're practicing training because by doing it day in and day out with the mindset that I'm going to do, even in the weight room, I'm going to do an RDL the way I'm supposed to do every time, you know, slight knee bend, flat back, you know, not going to round my shoulders, you know, have good posture, you know, and so forth. And I have that bar hang out from my knees, from my shins, but keep it tight to my center of mass there. Little things like that don't just go through emotions. It becomes having that attention to detail, doing things with, with the intent to do it perfectly becomes how you operate. And when you take that mentality and you transition to a football team, a baseball team, a basketball team, it comes down to however many team members are doing their role really, really well. And that synergy is what allows a team to be successful. So I have these guys more hours than most of the sport coaches do year round. So I really try to hammer in the attention to detail um, because in America, a lot of times, Strength coaches, a lot of wonderful strength coaches, but there's also a lot of morons. And they're just all about tempo, 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 get through the workout. And I'm like, are we training for power and strength here? Or are we training for endurance, guys? You got you to choose, okay? So, um, and and form goes to shit. And, you know, we're, we're having bad motor patterns and stuff like that. So, anyways, going back to law enforcement, that attention to detail, that's just something I really try to hammer home. And then I just think also just, just being a cop, taking charge of a room comes very naturally for me. So um, my, my wife calls it my cop voice, which I don't think it's just my voice, I think, but <laughs> they really pissed me off. Like I, I've occasionally had to unload some combinations of curse words to get my players. <laughs> and um, you know, and it, it works pretty effectively. So yeah, <laughs> so, I, I can imagine. Uh, oh yeah. Like you said earlier, Tony, that, you don't want to be seen as this like big jock strength coach, but like, let's not forget you're about six, four and two fifty. You're a big dude. <laughs> like you're a scary looking guy. Yeah. I, I try. And I try to keep that in mind. Cause I think sometimes I do forget, you know, that because I'm like, I'm a nice guy. My wife's like, yeah, but you're huge. I'm like, okay, you're right. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I do. Is, I, yeah. so I try to use that presence to my advantage but also that I realize too that it can be it can be detrimental because like I remember I love my women's soccer players they're wonderful they work hard but they I was teaching them uh clean pools to the floor and just very lightweight we had like tens on each side like 65 pounds is nothing for them you know just and there's a couple just talking in the back and I don't know what I snapped I was like who's talking and like and like 
you could hear a pin just drop in the room. And then I basically like, you guys have got to stop interrupting me when I'm talking, you know, and just, <laughs> and at the end, I was like, I was like, I felt so bad. Like, okay, guys, I probably shouldn't raise my voice that much, but I just snapped, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was just kind of a, it was just kind of like occurred to me, okay, like they're not used to that. So I have to kind of remember to keep it in check sometimes. <laughs> so, That's uh, funny. Yeah. I think a couple of things on that, like attention to detail. I was just thinking about that. I think twofold that's so crucial one it builds into that coach's eye right if you see something and and you aren't happy with that that you want to jump on it straight away and be like Mm -hmm. i need to correct that so many young coaches i see just let sloppy things go and and i'm i'm a huge proponent of not overcoaching i don't like to overcoach at all but you can go so far the other way right and just let everything go so so that attention to detail is crucial but the other side of that and and i think you kind of said it there is almost it sounds like you build a culture where everybody has attention to detail and everybody says details matter so if you can build that culture because you instill that culture of details matter because it's instilled in you you instill it in the athletes you're going to have a a, a successful program there yeah absolutely Uh, i um I, I completely agree with that. I think it sets a bar for the performance and what you expect. Um, like I remember having those kind of expectations put on me as, as an athlete when I was younger and it changes the mentality of the entire team. And I took, you know, I took that similar idea forwards when I was with the, with the table tennis team before the Rio Olympics, you know, I was there every morning making sure the, the mats were, were laid out and the foam rollers were there. The, you know, the lacrosse balls were there so that the girls could come in and they were ready for when the girls came in. And I always made sure I was the last one there and I packed it all away and I made sure that whole space was clean. Cause it was very much like, what can I can control and contribute to? Well, this is my space. This is the bit I can contribute to, but it made a difference. I got so many comments from the coaches and everything about, about professionalism and about, you know, the way that I was always first there, last to leave and keeping that place like spotless and clean and having the equipment out when they needed it. And it sets a bar, it sets a tone for the, for the athletes, for the, you know, it, it then helps to impact everyone on the team. I think it's really important. Yeah. And and Steve makes a great point about, you know, you, you can overcoach and I have to sometimes pull myself back, but the biggest thing for me is like, so, and everybody's got a different style, but my style of coaching is we do our dynamic warm-up every day. You know, we go through our mobility, our neuromuscular activation, so on and so forth. And then in the beginning of the semester, I, I spend more time demonstrating the exercises and we may not lift quite as long. And after about two weeks of that or so, you know, then the demonstrations get shorter. But I honestly, I never go through, it's just my style. I never go through a session without at least demonstrating the most complex movements um just because just just as a refresher because these are student athletes their mind they, these are not paid professionals they may have just had a really hard test they might have just broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend um they got all kinds of the stresses going on sometimes they don't want to be there and they're they're checked out so just from a sake of hey let's let's lock in let's focus guys you know let's just don't go through the motions and give them a good demonstration, or I take my best athlete and coach off my best athlete. Hey, Keegan, come here. Uh, show them how to do a split jerk properly. Just kind of go through the steps, how to set up properly, you know, how to receive the ball or how to recover. So 
just things like that where um, just even a two, a two minute quick reminder, because I found on times when I don't do that, the, the attention to detail or some of this basic safety stuff is not what I want because there's one of me and oftentimes 40 people in the weight room. It's been 30 this year because of COVID, but it'll be as high as 40 sometimes. And that's that athlete to coach ratio is very challenging. So I'd rather take that extra two, three minutes daily, you know, and make sure that we are, um, we're doing things the right way. So I get an hour of my athletes and we use all 3,600 seconds. I mean, I don't waste any time. It's, like, it's just the way I look at it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely built what Steve was saying. My goal is to instill a culture that basically at the end of the day, we have such a great attention to detail that it's our, it's, it's our new norm. So when they're at practice, they're not zoned out when they're being coached on, you know, how to instill a zone defense in basketball or how to, how to run a, a basic run plan offense in, in American football. So that carries over because, you know, when you're tired, you know, it's it's harder to focus when your body's physically tired. It's something you have to practice. Um, it's one of the main things they do in military boot camp with these guys is just, hey, you've got to make complex decisions when you're under fatigue. You know, again, we're training athletes, but there is still some kind of you know, carry over that they are still physically tired and they're working together as a team under duress at times. So, you know, just teaching that skill and, and, and accountability, it only takes one or two of you messing up to ruin the whole play, guys. Um, you know, if you want to be successful, we have to do our part. So just holding holding them accountable to that, I think is very, very important. And that's just how I've, that's how I've always believed. That's just the core fundamental philosophy to um, how, I'm, how I coach. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. I like I always like the idea of taking that time in the early stages to really lay a very good foundation in terms of in terms of teaching, in terms of you know ensuring understanding. But equally, like you said, the the need to make sure that you're you're demonstrating the point of the lift on that day. Because for example, like if you've changed you know, if you've changed phases and suddenly you want to change the tempo, you have to demonstrate mm -hmm. it at the tempo that you want it. Um, exactly. A massive bugbear or pet peeve of mine is, you know, coaches demoing, either trying to get through the demo really quickly and doing it all really fast, but then telling the athletes to go slow or, you know, or vice versa. And you're like, the whole point of you getting up there in front of them is to be like, right, this is the point of the exercise today from the last session that we did this is probably the most common mistake. This is how we're going to correct it. Like having that in mind when you go into a session, I think is really important. Hmm. Yeah, and with that said, I mean, like, you know, there's some, again, I go back to earlier, division two, you get a wide variety of athletes. So I, the way I program is I program, I write my programs for the best athletes, the athletes that are going to be with the ones we're counting on in competition. So I write a progression that I think is, doable sustainable for them because in my in my mindset it's always easier to regress an athlete on the fly than it is to progress your best athlete oh crap we're we're on we've been doing high pulls for six weeks here you know and like he's ready to catch and go overhead so i'll progress but then it's you by paying attention observing your athletes there'll be some athletes we don't ever progress past a high pull because they or I've had some, you know what? We are tossing the high pool. We are just going to do a med ball overhead throw or yep. a loaded back, a loaded jump. We're just, we're just not going to waste our time anymore, you know. Um, and I'm just using that for football players, for example, because um, you know it's I, I I do love the Olympic lifts. Um, I'm just using that as an example, but 
that's just one tool, you know, it's some, they're not here to be a little weightlifters, they're here to be athletes. So there's the times where I take my plan and I'm like, okay, I've got to adapt this in the fly for this 15% of the athletes that just aren't getting it because we're not making, we're not progressing at the rate I want to progress. So I teach them something simpler on the fly and still, you know, you know, reiterate the attention to detail. This is how I want it done. That's a, that's a, uh, a neat mindset and method as well, because chances are the regressions you've spent time teaching previously. Exactly. Right? So if you're saying like, we're, you know, this athlete's not pro not progressing to this level, they're going to stick with those, those high poles. You've taught those before already. So it's an exercise you've taught. You're just keeping them at that level. So I, I like that. Um, I wanted to, to move on. Like I said, there was so much that I wanted to dig into from your, from your intro. Um, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about your time in China and, and the experience you had there links in a little bit. I, I want to know, does it, did your time in law enforcement help you when you worked in shooting? Obviously it's one of the, one of the few jobs where firearms are actually a part of your, um, actually a part of your job. And so you've obviously got some experience of that. Um, but did, do you, do you feel like that training in law enforcement helped you understand the sport at all, or was it still completely different from what you'd learned? Uh, their, their style of shooting was was uh, was different than how ours was was more tactical, obviously. But in terms of buying with my athletes, it helped tremendously. So um, I can't remember when you two. I think y'all brought on in early April, late March. So yeah. right yeah. Before, um, in terms of being in charge of it. So I remember when Ron McKeefer recruited me. He originally told me that I was going to work with jujitsu and wrestling. And so, yeah, that's great. We'll do that. Um, and then maybe a couple of weeks out, he told me, well, the Chinese Olympic Committee was very excited about the fact that you were a police officer. So they want you to work with shooting. And I'm not going to lie. I wasn't happy at first. I was just <laughs> like, um, I said, coach, I said, I'm not teaching these guys how to shoot. You know, that's, that's not my job. I'm a strength coach. It's like, what do I do with these guys? And he just said, well, just make them better athletes. So, okay, well, I can do that. So, um, so I, I, I realized that, I mean, it was still going to be an awesome experience. I was going to turn out like, these are like the best shooters in the world. So I was like, okay, I'm going to look at this glass half full. There's, there's something I can learn and get out of this. Um, so got there and had a blast with them, you know, just observed the sport and so forth. But um, they let me shoot the guns on multiple occasions and not to brag that I was pretty damn good. Not as good as them, <laughs> but I, and I shot it, you know, tap with a rifle and so forth, showed them how, we shot with a pistol, the weaver stance versus just the complete bladed stance and it was very accurate. And um, so they, they thought it was pretty cool that I could shoot well. Um, so it definitely gave them, um, I think it definitely created buying for sure. Um, I don't, it definitely didn't hurt me. I'll put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, um, I was just listening this morning, Rob, Pacey just put one of his podcasts out with Joe Club and she was talking about this and, and they went into an example of he was at a football club and nobody knew that he was he was a strength coach in a soccer club, but he was a semi-professional footballer as well. Nobody knew this. So the first time they go out in the field to do a bit of conditioning and they're knocking balls around, everyone was like, oh, you're actually pretty good. And exactly the same mm -hmm. thing there, like that instant buy-in when you know, when you can actually do it, it's not, you know, a hundred percent necessary. We've all gone into sports where we, where we've had no idea about those sports, but 
certainly you do you do get a bit of a, a benefit from that for sure yeah, i should show you some videos of me playing table tennis it's mm. embarrassing like there was no way i was building buy-in with that method <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got on i posted some stuff on social media where the first day i shot their long-range rifles um you know i did all three positions and uh the one thing that was hardest was the kneeling, just because just the balance. If there's any kind of slight lean, it messes your balance up. And if you can lean it, because you're you're not actually on a wall or something like that, so it's total balance. But um, I, I shot decent with that. But remember the the the, the supine, um, sorry, the prone. I mean, say um, position there. Like first shot, I hit like a nine point nine, and they're like, holy crap, you know, so like ten ten nine is a perfect shot. So, um, but. Uh, they're like, okay, you know, so and the pistol is what I, being a cop, obviously shooting pistols is much more common than we do. And I was hitting several shots in the tens, you know, so um, it's, you know, like I said, it was just something where, but I wasn't doing it the way they did it. And, but I just think they thought it was cool. So it's, it's something that, um, and, and I think just because of that ability to relate, um, they, they trust me more because at first, like when they, when they met me, they were like, like, these were some little dudes, like these were not big guys, you know? So nope. I, I definitely did not look like anybody <laughs> they had worked with before. So, um, For sure. but yeah, but yeah, it was a great experience and they, they got really into it. And I just, I just was energetic with the guys every day and um, constantly, you know, I had to adapt. We could talk about this later, but like, I can't send any plans I wrote and I was like, we're not doing that plan because I don't want this. You know, I had to, I had to adapt my plan a lot. The plan that I'd spent a lot of time thinking like, this is a great plan, but still having to work with the, the shooting coaches and understand the culture I was in that they are still the boss, you know, in terms of like, because they can fire me if they don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, I learned how to compromise and be a salesman. And, and I told many guys I was there too, like, at the beginning of the first couple of months, I was probably getting 50% of my goals done, but I got buying trust little by little. And then by the end of the time there, I was probably getting 80 to 90% of what I wanted done. And there would always be certain things where William would say, oh, coach, he doesn't want this. Coach, he doesn't want this. Oh, they don't want to touch the shoulders. Okay. So we'll just, could I do a later carry? Yeah, we can do a later carry. Okay, we'll do a later carry. Yeah. We're still working. We're still working <laughs> some shoulder strengthening there, or a farmer carry, or something like that. Just because they were isometric, static sport, um, so they got real nervous of me touching up a body and so forth. So I just did a lot of static stuff um, up there and a lot of core and lower body and a ton of a ton of cardiovascular endurance and balance training as well. So, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think the fact that they respected me in my ability to shoot. I, they thought I could relate well, so they gave me more leash. But then I, I think also respect goes both ways too. I gave them the respect to give me some input and not get offended. So I, I think it, it ended up being a very good partnership. Yeah. Honestly, I first off I wanted to say hats off to you because I think you know when you got placed in shooting, there there is that tendency for for S and C coaches, like you said, to kind of just you know be pretty upset about that one when you've gone to work for an olympic committee and you're suddenly like oh what am i going to do with these guys like mm -hmm. this is not the you know this is kind of not really the sport i wanted to work with but you really embraced it and you took it on as a, a different challenge um and like i said i think your ability to build a relationship when it when there's a language barrier that's harder right we we all know that and so your ability to be relatable like that i think is was huge um 
I also wanted to pick up there. You met, you mentioned William a, a couple of times. Um, we, we love talking about mentorships and I think you did a great job mentoring him. Um, how big of a, a part of your relationship building with the team was the relationship that you had with him, with your assistant coach? I feel like a hundred percent sometimes to be honest. Like if I had blown it with William, I would not have been successful. Um, so William and I are like brothers. I mean, we, we call, he, he whenever he, he calls me or messages me, hello, brother, how are you doing? You know, and his little Chinese accent and he's a wonderful, wonderful human being, but, um, William, he's fluent in English, but it's, it's, it's not great, but it's, it's good enough to where I can get by and we'd have to, um, Many times he'd like slowly, slowly. I, I speak fast, so <laughs> say things, say things again. Um, so I'm speaking fast with the southern accent. I'm like, William, please do not emulate my English if you go <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I am not the person I struggle speaking the English language. So, um, but anyways, he was wonderful. Um, and he, he, William was also very capable. I mean, he was a CSCS, uh, corrective exercise specialist through, I believe, NASM. Um, very, very intelligent, very motivated. Um, and we just, we, we, we met. I would say the biggest thing is William, our personalities clicked. And William did an outstanding job um, mentoring me on the norms of Chinese culture. Because as y'all witnessed, yeah. they had a lot of coaches over there that had good intentions, but in the beginning, there were some issues because they're not listening to me. What do I do? Well, it's like over here, the leadership hierarchy is, is different. We're like, whatever the leader says, whether he's qualified or not, is what goes on base. And just learning to negotiate and basically trying to manipulate things to where you can get what you want done, but do it in the way where it's dressed up to where it's, it satisfies, it checks the boxes they want checked. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, I had a lot more experience. I had my master's degree in exercise science, applied physiology and just teaching William, um, you know, the reasons for why I was doing what I was doing, not just saying he, we're doing it because of this. Well, here's the program. We had a lot of going back and forth, explain to him, and also telling him, like, listen, I've never trained a sport like this. You know, it, it kind of feels like I'm tra I was training a middle distance runner almost because from the outside looking in, we had a heavy focus on cardiovascular endurance about three times a week just to really, you know, just to drive down sympathetic tones. So these guys you know, lower their blood pressure, lower their heart rate, you know, increase stroke volume, that sort of thing. So when they're shooting under pressure, um, you know, they don't get as high of a sympathetic response. Um, but then also um, just giving them the, the, the requisite strength they need to stay balanced. I looked at it as I told William, I said, he, he would ask about doing a lot of balance training. I said, hey, we, we can do that. But I said, I think the real issue here is if you look at the numbers, you know, as they start to fade two, three hours in, I think it's just, that's just evident of, of fatigue. I said, it's not so much they're losing their balance. They're just getting tired. So I said, we'll still do some balance training, the dynamic warm up. We can, we can factor in some, um, some, um, some of the exercises you and I went over with, you know, with, uh, you know, partner pushes yep. and single leg um, on, on uh, Bosu balls. Just, I got creative with it, to be honest, but at the end of the day, I was like, they're shooting on a flat static surface. You know, they're holding up, you know, a 15 pound, 10, 15 pound rifle that gets heavy after a while. So, 
we did focus a lot on um, core strength, lower body strength, and then as much as they would let me touch the upper body in an intelligent way, I would. I had, like I said, I had to be very careful with that, but I always did it in the form of isometric holds. Um, so just really, again, in terms of mentoring him, just teaching him the reasons why I did what I did, but also keeping an open mind to where um, I would tell William straight up in private, like, listen, I don't agree with Coach Lee or Coach Sean on this, but I'm going to compromise here because A, you were telling me to compromise and I trust you. And B, there's more than one way to get a job done. So just thinking about how we can work around their demands. Um, because it's we all have egos, particularly as coaches, and it's frustrating sometimes when you write a plan, like, oh, we can't do it this way. But I had to remind myself, like, this is not about me. And more importantly, like, and, and the culture of China, like, these are rock star athletes. I mean, I trained the world champion, Yang Haran, who set the world record in the rifle through positions in May when I was there. I trained Huizhi Chung, who won the Asian Games. Yang and Seoul won um, the, the, the U.S. World Cup. So, I mean, you're training guys that, you know, if you do something to screw them up, you're going to lose trust in these. They're going to lose trust in you. You're going to be done. So just had to, like I said, learn to compromise, learn to put my ego aside and just communicate back and forth well with, with William um, was huge. So it was, yeah. uh, it was good. I mean, it, I mentored him, but he also mentored me. Yeah. That's, so good that's also hear. so important. I, I think, I think one thing that a lot of people forget is that mentorship relationships are two way. And they, you know, there are things that you can learn from people, um, whether you're older or younger, because different people have different experiences, different skill sets. You can still learn from, like, you can still learn from each other. Um, mm -hmm. I And, you know, I like you, I, I think my first, like the first sort of assistant or person who was like placed with me to help me on a team was as was as valuable to me as as William was to you and it goes such a long way in helping to understand the culture helping to understand the the most practical way I'm going to say of of working um with within a within a different culture like that I think is huge and um you mentioned before we started the recording here he, William is still with the team right that's correct. Yes. So he's he's kind of taken over taken over from you. Do you still do you still kind of play that mentor role? Yeah. Well, we 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 talk. I mean, just I'm so slammed at Newberry, so I, I've probably I, I make a point to reach out to William at least once a month. Um, so that's kind yes. of what I've done, and I've been pretty consistent about that. Um, and so when we do talk. We'll get on video chat, and you know, we'll talk for 20 minutes or so. And um, you know, at, at this point, it's more so just hey. How are the guys doing? What are you doing? Um, you know, sometimes I, I tread lightly sometimes on exactly what's going on because of just the privacy issues they're, you know, worried about. Um, I, I don't want to get him to say something he's not supposed to say. So I kind of let him lead the conversation when it comes to talk about the training and stuff. Um, but the, uh, like I said, he's, he's somebody that we, we are genuinely friends. Um, so we get along, we, we, we got along great from day one and, I, I, I'm very happy in the fact that when I left, I told Coach Lee and Coach Chung through William and also Coach and also a guy named Wong Leon, who was the manager, like, listen, you guys don't need to bring another foreign guy in. William's got this. Like, just William's been with me for a year. He knows what he's doing. If it's not broken, let's don't fix it. 
you know, and so he, William did a grant. And also because the situation with William, um, I forget who they were hired through originally, like they kept changing contracts and they didn't have good jobs. Sounds like China. Yeah. (laughs) And so it ended up working out with a team just hired him directly through their budget. So that gave him great job stability. And then he was able, he's been at Beijing Sport University the past couple of years as well, able to work remotely with that. So it's, He's done very, very well. I'm very proud of him. Um, and uh, honestly, he's somebody that I've, we've, I've told him, like, if there's ever an opportunity for me to hire you on a visa in the U.S., I'd love to have you. you know, so he's – I really do – I'd like to repay that favor to him because he – God knows that I was successful largely in part because of William's uh, role with me. That's, nice. that's awesome. I, I love that you've been able to keep that relationship. Um Overall, how do you, you know, how do you rate that kind of experience that you had in China and what kind of things do you think you learned that have now helped you in your current role managing a bigger staff and a massive, um, you know, sort of athlete student population? Gotcha. Um, I think the number one lesson I learned in China was to be adaptable um, just because we had to travel around to different camps and, I think coming from the U.S., when I was like, oh, I'm going to go for Chinese living community. This is the highest level of the world. And it truly is. But I was assuming that they had the resources of a Division One Power Five school, um, which we at, the, at the, uh, the National Sports Training Center in Beijing was very, very good. But even that was not as good as the weight rooms. They, they actually, Kristoff sent me some pictures where they, they brought in a bunch of new equipment after I left and it got better, but it was still pretty kind of out of date compared to like way too many machines in there. Not wait, not a whole, not, not a whole lot of working space, stuff like that. Um, so I, I learned very quickly that, you know, I'm going to have to be able to adapt, you know, so I may have to be like, here's your field with so a few kettlebells, a few bands go. Okay. So I had to be able to write programs, um, with a lot of body weight, a lot of, te- I did a lot of tempo work just to get time and retention, just from a conditioning standpoint to that, you know, increase the level of exertion, um, with these guys. And then, um, and I mean, obviously the shooting athletes, you're not, you don't need to load these guys super heavy. So, um, if it had been like, Hey, you're training a rugby team with no weights, that would have been more challenging. But, um, I just learned to adapt based upon the environment I was in. Um, and that suited me well coming to Newberry because I, I'm very proactive when it comes to planning. Like I use my summer to write all my programs for fall, spring, fall semester, have continuous contingency plans in place, stuff like that. But there's still times where coaches don't communicate well with you, uh, game schedules change, um, or employ, you know, just being a division two school, people are constantly looking to move up the ladder a guy leaves, somebody else comes in. So you, uh, that happened when I was an assistant. So just having to be able to adapt on the fly, step in and cover for somebody um, with their program or modify a program on the fly, you just do the best you can. That was, uh, that was probably the biggest thing that I learned from China. Like, there's an old saying, like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I, I think sometimes one thing I hate about our industry is, it's a really pet peeve of mine. You'll see on social media, like some guy will post an exercise or post a video. And then you'll, you'll subsequently see like 50 SNC professionals bashing this dude. What an idiot. Why is he doing that? And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, you don't know the resources that guy has. 
You don't know the, the communication he has with the sport coaches. As long as he's not – now, granted, I'm sure I've seen stuff too. I've been like, what in the world is this guy doing? But I, I made a firm rule for myself. Like, I'm not going to comment on something that I'm not – I don't have all the facts because I wouldn't want somebody doing that to me. And also having been in a situation in China where, you know, things change so rapidly, you know, it's it's just – it's 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 not uh, – it's not fair. So, and it's not respectful. So yeah. I've just, I've, so I've learned to basically kind of hold my tongue and think, well, that coach probably had a reason to doing what he was doing. Um, and uh, so anyways, just knowing that what I said earlier, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Sometimes when you're thrown to a situation, you got to adapt and fly and just do the best you can. It's still better than if you hadn't done anything at all. So oh, you can't always sure. have your perfect periodized plan that you want to have. Yeah, we talked about that on our very first episode, all the way back whenever yeah. we recorded that. Exactly that. It's it's people are so quick to judge when without knowing the context. And if you actually spent a bit of time and understood the context, maybe they're doing the absolute yeah. best thing possible given the conditions that they're in. But but For everybody sure. just wants to jump on and and chime in. Said so you you don't you don't know the constraints the coach is under, and you also don't know the level at which the athlete has been working like you you mentioned there with a division two school you've got a fairly big range of athletes you know you you might be able to look at one athlete and they're perfect and look at another one and they've come a really long way but they're still quite a way off being perfect and that for them is a success that's a win because they're doing really well they're they're doing it the best they've ever done it and that's still a really good result for them. Um, again, so I, you know, I completely agree with that sentiment. And I love that phrase as well. It's a nice, short, sharp. Yeah. I'll give Joanna, my wife, credit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a question for you, and, and excuse my ignorance, but not knowing too much about the American college system, obviously everybody talks about, you know, Division One schools, you know, in, in terms of that, we know that's the pinnacle. I don't know if it's just what I've been exposed to or, or coincidence, but I tend to see a lot of stuff about NCAA, like, like division one, a lot of stuff about division three, and then not so much stuff about division two. I'm, I get kind of confused about how this whole system works and, and what yes. it means between the divisions. Okay, uh, so basically you've got so you've got division the highest highest level. Okay, you've got division one, and then within division one, there's a couple of tiers. So if you hear somebody say division one power five, they're talking about the top the top five conferences: the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the Pac twelve, the SEC, the ACC. That's like your top sixty five schools where they've got tens of millions of dollars in their budget annually. Um, you know, all their scholarships are, you know, fully allotted to good, good, very good athletes. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got very good resources. So there, there's obviously some disparity between schools, but um, all in all, it's, it's the top level in terms of the skill and the resources. Okay. Um, and then below Division One, you've got, they call, if you're looking at a football, they call it FCS or um, football championship subdivision. So that's where you've got basically your second tier of division one schools, still good athletes, still really good resources, um, but they're smaller schools. 
um, maybe say around five, 6,000 students, okay, versus like your power five might have 30,000 students, okay, um, and they call them football championship subdivision in football because they actually go through a four-round playoff, um, so that's just what it comes, comes a name from, versus the top, they call it FBS, football bowl subdivision, because we still play bowl games, even if that is going away, they're going to have a playoff, I think, pretty soon that's going to be larger, so that's how it is in football. So football, FBS, Power 5, FCS, that four-round playoff form they do. And then uh, actually it's five rounds now. But then on the Olympic sports side, it's just Division One. It's There's no separation by football that makes sense. It's just that, like, your Power 5 schools will play your mid-majors or your uh, FCS in football, so to speak. It used to be called Division One AA. I can see why you're confused, Steve. Um, <laughs> you might as well be speaking Chinese to me. Like, I understand more yeah. Chinese than what you've just said. Yeah, oh, man. It's, it's crazy. And I'm not doing a great job. But basically, it's all based upon how big the school is, um, the how many scholarships are allotted. So you have, basically, you have Division One, Division Two, Division Three. But within Division One, there's tiers of Division One. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. so you still get a good quality of athlete in in Division yeah. Two, like you said, you'll have a spread. But those top end guys will still be pretty good. And we'll exactly, and we'll get a lot of transfers from Division One that, like, academically they just couldn't make the cut grade wise, um, or they just were like, you know what, I, I signed with a pretty good school as a quarterback, but I'm never going to play here. They got guys ahead of me, so I'm going to transfer down one level so I can get more playing. Like okay. you said at the start, like 700 athletes. That's you know, huge. Like, you go yeah. from, how do you manage that many? Yeah. How do you yeah. manage that many of anything? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you, well, you go from, uh, you know, the, the what was on the rifle team, like a few dozen maybe to mm-hmm. 700. Exactly. Yeah. So I went from, um, I was actually showing my assistant, my rifle team um, roster of the day, and just, yeah, 36 guys that I trained at the high end. Um, but those guys are kind of, you know, come in and out based upon, you know, their performance, what competition we are going to have. So sometimes we drop down to 20, 22. Um, but I go from there to Newberry and in my current situation. So I'm the director, I have an assistant, a full-time assistant, and two part time. And when I say part time, it's part time. They're not. Part, they work full. They're working forty hours plus. So um, <laughs> I just it's just they label them twenty nine hour weeks, so they don't have to pay them full time salaries. Um, but so fortunately for us, the summertime is very very slow because you know we're a tuition driven university. They don't have the funds to pay for these kids to be here over the summer for sports that are on scholarships. Um, unless they're in classes. And we, it's being, being a small school, we only have an enrollment of like 1,250. So over half of our students are student athletes. Um, so it's, 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 it's their business model. Hey, you come to Newberry College, you get your education, you get to play a sport. So, um, so I have the vast majority of our kids are not on scholarship, you know, and then it's, um, you know, it's pretty obvious which ones are like, really good athletes that are on scholarship versus like who's just on the team. Uh, but, you know, you train them all, you train them all with the intent to get them better. Like I said earlier, you know, and um, they're all, they're all important, but it takes a lot of proactive planning. So um, what I've got to do is over the summer, I, like I said, I have my different coaches have their sports assigned to them. I encourage them all. Hey guys, let's get all of our programs written 
have your map for the semester because you can always, de I'm not saying just because it's written on paper, you have to do it that way. You're going to adapt based upon injuries and uh, game schedule, last minute changes in the schedule, stuff like that. Or, hey, you know what? They're just, their sport coaches just absolutely killing the practice. I got to back off in the weight room sometimes because they're not going to adapt. So I'm going to have to adapt. Um, but if you have your map in place, it's a lot easier to then adapt on the fly. So then what my job entails is just athlete monitoring day in, day out. I mean, I, I literally will walk around during warm up. Hey, how you feeling? You sore, what's bothering you, stuff like that. Because I have the injury report like, from the athlete trainer every day for all the teams, but I still check in with my athletes to find out how they're feeling. Just kind of like when I was in China, I literally did a, an, um, an SRPE on them every single day before and after training for their for their technical shooting, technical practice. Cause okay, I shot six hours today. It was, uh, so I shot for 360 minutes on a scale of one to 10, it was a six, it was pretty stressful today. Okay, I know that coming in to performance training that they're pretty beat up. Well, with collegiate athletes, you know, you got to factor in, you know, their workload, what's going on in their personal lives. Um, obviously what their sport coaches do and stuff like a football, our football coaches, they push the guys very, very hard. We hit a lot. Um, so I, I have to sometimes, you know, very much modify my plan more often than I would like to. Um, so, but like I said, it's a lot of proactive planning, a lot of communication with the uh, sport coach to set a schedule. That's the biggest pain in the ass is setting the schedule before the semester. I have two weight rooms now, so it's much easier, but getting, cause you're never going to make everybody happy um, based upon the time. So I, there's, so we pretty much, we get rolling at 6 a.m. And I don't get done until 8.30 at night a lot of times. And that's not every every day, but during COVID, I was here about 14 hours a day, five days a week. It was because we couldn't have as many people in the weight room. So my staff, we, we busted our ass. And we worked extremely hard um, during both semesters. And it got, it got easier the second semester because we were able to relax a little bit on some of the things because – uh, they were in competitions. They weren't. They weren't training quite as often um, as they would be in the off season. So, um, but it's just all about being very proactive, writing your programs, having a schedule written. Um, so, like for example, this summer, Dion, my full time assistant, and I were we've got our programs pretty much written for the upcoming school year. So now we're running a lot of like recovery generation type workouts anticipating that hey just be times these guys aren't going to go to be full go and train uh putting together like mobility um pamphlets that, that the kids can come in on their off time and work on thoracic mobility hip mobility ankle mobility just has like instructions because uh, with pictures and so forth because if i'm coaching volleyball i can't stop to coach my football players on this yeah. um because it's, it's, it's volleyball's time so just basically providing the resources um for my players to continue to get better and then um, work on a nutrition budget and stuff like that over the summer to where as the guys leave, I can give them, you know, a protein shake and some fruit or granola bar or something like that. So there's a lot of things that at least the summertime allows me to plan. Um, but I've also been here for two years and four months now, and I hit the ground running. And this is where my OCD for detail really, really helps because I'm very – one of my strengths is I'm very good about thinking two or three steps ahead about what could potentially go wrong and then creating a fail safe to protect from that going wrong. So that's, that's something that has served me well. Um, so I usually have, I have contingency plan A, contingency plan B and contingency plan C. Um, and so it's, it's at the point now where it's just a matter of just showing up daily and doing my job. Yeah. 
I, I honestly, I, (laughs) um, I love that. I found from the time in, um, from time in China, the better I planned, the easier it was to deal with some of those changes. Um, yeah. Um, I think Steve may have had to go. Um, so we're just going to carry on. Yeah, he's going to go. So cool. Um, yeah. So the, the only other thing I wanted to, um, to ask you about was, yeah. Um, kind of managing that, like that massive squad and, and doing all that, how much time do you get to like mentor the coaches that are underneath you? It's, uh, it's love. It's on the fly. It's tough. Um, this, so the first semester, uh, the first semester of being, being a director, I, I got promoted to director with like, oh, and guess what? Here's this thing called COVID-19. You know, so I got thrown to the fire. Um, so the first semester, we did the best we could uh, plan, but it was just get through the day. Like I had 27 football groups, you know, so um, like individual lifting groups. So that's, you know, so oh, stuff like yeah. that. Just, uh, I mean, we were working so many hours. So we didn't have, we, we were able to meet for like 15 minutes a day just to kind of touch base and, and go over a few things just to make sure we're on the same page if we need to cover. Because there was times where it's like, you know, we're, we're always doing stuff with a lot of moving parts. Uh, things calmed down in the spring because all fall sports got canceled. It was still very busy, but because everybody was competing in the spring, therefore they're not spending as much time in the weight room. So I was able in the spring on Fridays to do staff development. So we had staff development for an hour every Friday at 10 o'clock. Um, and we had some student interns. We make them do, they all had projects they had to do. They had to write an eight week program. They had to defend their program. We make them, you know, Hey, this week, for example, you're going to teach us an exercise and then we're going to critique you on how you do it and so forth. And then with my staff, um, we, we met daily and just, you know, um, just always checking in, seeing how they're going, uh, how, how they're doing. But um, we worked together really, really well this year, um, particularly the second semester on putting together summer manuals for our, for our student athletes. We made a lot of tutorial videos. Um, we added a lot of resources to it. Um, so. Um, and, and just in, when you're doing those things, like I had a couple of my uh, staff members the past couple of year, past year that have went on to get GA positions and just having, you know, frank conversations with them about, you know, what it's going to be like as a GA, what the expectations are going to be, um, making sure that you don't just have to write a program and for the heck of it, you need to be able to defend why you're doing what you're doing. So making them defend their programming to me, making them explain the reasons behind things and, and also understand that, you know, your first several programs are not going to be great by any means, but by practicing and doing this, you're going to get better and better. And, and also just reiterating to them, just you got to be coachable, guys. Like I tell them, I learn from you guys. There's times I've gotten great ideas for some of my assistants. So it's uh, there's a give and take. Um, but, you know, that first year, particularly um, I. Uh, just was kind of holding on for dear life that first semester because we were spread so thin with COVID-19. Um, and then, like I said, I really got a lot more grounded the second semester. And then this following coming semester, we're, we're going to continue those Friday meetings and, and focus more on professional development um, nice. in the, um, in the more Friday mornings. 
Nice. I mean, that's, that's going to be huge for trying to sort of manage a team and ensure that uh, all, all the athletes are always getting the kind of attention you want. That professional development is going to be huge. Um, it's something else we've talked about before on the pod as well, is that idea that, you know, particularly for, for interns and those people in their first role, there's, you know, there are some... Um, some centers, some colleges, some jobs where it's kind of like you're filling up the water bottles and, and, you know, writing things on the whiteboard and you're not really active coaching or getting much back. Um, so I think it's really great that you're able to, to still take that time, even through, you know, a pandemic and all the restrictions that you've had to, had to deal with. I think that's great. Um, cool. Um, yeah, I think we're going to round it out now. Um, been absolutely great catching up with you tony uh before you go um just want to ask you what where can people find you on social media um what's your preferred method if anyone wants to get in touch with you or ask you any questions gotcha yeah um so social media uh, i primarily use instagram it'd be tony underscore bixler underscore cscs and then on i do use twitter but rarely it's, it's at coach tony bixler and then um, if they want to email me, just shoot me an email. It's uh, Tony, T-O-N-Y dot Bixler, B-I-X-L-E-R at Newberry.edu. Um, feel free to shoot me an email if you have questions. I mean, I, I'll get, I get random emails all the time and I try to always respond. I had, I had one college student ask, ask me if he could get copies of my football manuals. I was like, sure. And I just, I'll send them to him. I don't care. I don't mind, I don't mind sharing information. So um, yeah, if you got any questions, please feel free to you know shoot me an email. Yeah, I I love that. I I really um I think it's really important that you're able to help younger you know younger coaches and student athletes on the way. And uh, I actually one of one of the things that I have a real pet peeve about is that is that kind of protectionist idea of of information. I think um, it, it's great. There's nothing. I don't think there's anything magic out there. It's all about how you you know how you implement it and and um, how you do it. So I love the fact that you're you're open to helping and sharing. Um, awesome, Tony. It's been wonderful having you on the pod, and it's been great catching up with you. Um, thanks for your time, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it very much.